Hello and welcome. You're listening to Writers Aloud, a podcast brought to you by writers for the Royal Literary Fund in London. Hello and welcome to episode 411 of Writers Aloud. In this episode, the first part of a two-part interview, Rebecca Goss speaks with John Greening about the poetry collection Her Birth and the process of writing it, starting out as a writer and the influence of English teachers, pushing herself in new directions with language in Girl and fighting to break away from couplets. Rebecca Goss has won many awards and was selected as one of the Poetry Book Society's Next Generation Poets in 2014. She has an MA in Creative Writing from Cardiff University and has taught the subject herself for the Arvon Foundation, the Poetry Society, the Poetry School and the University of East Anglia. In 2018, she was appointed Creative Writing Fellow at Liverpool John Moores University, where she'd earlier studied English. Her debut, The Anatomy of Structures, appeared in 2010 from Flambard Press and was followed three years later by a Carcanet Northern House collection, Her Birth. This was widely praised, Helen Dunmore noting its translucent language and Bernard O'Donoghue its narrative compulsion, calling it a wonderful book. Her Birth won the poetry category of the East Anglian Book Awards in the year it was published and was subsequently shortlisted for three prizes, the Portico, the Warwick and the Ford. This was the second of Rebecca Goss's full collections and it explores the experience of losing her baby daughter in 2008. It was followed in 2019 by Girl, which Carcanet's Covenant describes as a celebration of female identity and experience and the dynamics of family and friendship. Girl also appeared on the shortlist for the East Anglian Book Awards. Her two pamphlets highlight an interest in interdisciplinary projects, such as the collaboration with photographer Chris Routledge, which led to Carousel, published by Guillemot in 2018. Rebecca Goss lives in rural Suffolk, where she grew up. Delighted to be here to chat with you, Rebecca. Yes, it's lovely. In in deepest Suffolk. Let's start with her birth, because that seems to be at the heart of everything you've written, really. And any parent who reads it must be prepared to weep. It's a very moving book, and in the tradition of books like those like Douglas Dunn, Gwyneth Lewis, Christopher Reed, or elegiac books, was there a model you followed in writing that, or, or did it just happen, or, or what, as a book? There wasn't a model, actually, though I do remember reading Douglas Dunn at school and loving that book. You know, the, though he, that, that kind of um, bereavement was so far away from me then, you know, as a teenager, but I don't remember really deliberately focusing on any anyone else's sort of model. I think almost selfishly I was just too wrapped up in my own experiences probably at the time. Mm. I think I almost went into the book more innocently, you know, in a way that I just wanted to record her life. I wasn't thinking about it as a book, as having an audience, you know, didn't even have a publisher when I started writing it, you know, I didn't know where it was going to go. So I think for me it was just about recording things mm. for a long time. Mm. Do you read them aloud? I remember Douglas wouldn't read those poems aloud, the one about the death of his wife. Do, will you read the, the, them to a public? Is that possible? Yeah, so I didn't, um, I didn't know that about Douglas, mm, yeah. Yes. Um, I, uh, I did an awful lot of readings when mm. the book came out, a mm. lot of readings from the book, and 
some of them quite long looking back, you know, long stints on stage, you know. Mm. And I think I do remember at first feeling quite empowering that I was being given permission to talk about this terrible subject, that, you know, child death is still such a taboo, I think. Um, you know, so I found myself thinking, uh, you know, I, I can talk about it, this is all right, because I found it so difficult in my real life, my everyday life, around other mothers, other women, to talk about the death of my child. I just couldn't do it. So to then get up bizarrely and face a room of strangers, I found I, I could do it. Mm. But it didn't, it didn't always stay that way. I, uh, after two or three years reading consistently, I, I began to take its toll on me emotionally, mm. I have to say. Mm-hmm. for lots and lots of reasons mm-hmm. people coming to you with their own stories yes. and I felt ill-equipped to deal with them um, but then felt very guilty that they'd taken on board my story mm-hmm. and were taking it away with them in a book and mm-hmm. you know so I, I felt lots of things like that and also just the sheer exhaustion of it not in a dramatic way but just reading poems about the same experiences and then was I maybe not thinking about other experiences was mm-hmm. I only thinking about her in the form of the book and the poems was I not thinking about her in other ways. I just mm. It became really complex, actually, mm. for me. But that's what I went to do on my PhD about. Oh, but we... Right. Yeah, I ended up writing a... I kind of sorted it all out by going mm. uh, going to going back to university in my 40s, and I wrote... Mm. Uh, I did a PhD by publication, and my thesis was about the consequences of disclosure. I see. Yeah. And, I, and I think I sorted a lot out. <laughs> <laughs> um, people are often drawn to poetry and often try and write poetry when something dreadful happens to them. Would you give any, any advice to people about how to make such poetry work if you do have some some seriously moving experience you want to to put into um, the lines? I think as a as a as a mother, I, I was I, I went quite gently on myself, but as a poet and a writer, I was mm. quite hard on myself. And yeah. I think because I was already a poet in the very early stages of her mm. career, albeit, and but I wanted the poems to be good, mm. even though I didn't even wasn't even sure if they were ever going to be a book. I knew that I would possibly maybe send them out individually to journals mm. and things like that. So I wanted them to be good poems. So I think I did was able, in a way, maybe to stand back a bit from the content to make sure that it was working as a poem. I was quite disciplined about that. Yes. And I wanted the poems to also stand alone, even though it became apparent I was writing a sequence. I wanted someone to be able to just turn to any one of the poems and understand the whole story, in a way. Does confessional poetry interest you? There's a Plath epigraph somewhere in, in there the book, is. isn't there? Yes. Yeah. I suppose it does. I haven't. I don't seek it out necessarily, no. but it, it certainly resonates, mm. definitely. Mm. Yeah. And I don't have any problem with the term confessional poetry. I know there's, no. there, you know, there's lots of debate around it, but it doesn't... If people see her birth as a confessional book in mm. some way... That that's all right with me. I do. I, I in a way, I carry her death like a sort of confession, or I have done in the past anyway, because I find it so difficult to express in everyday life. Yes, yes. Some of those poems in in her birth are, are apparently artless, quite sort of simple on, on on the surface. But are they in fact the result of many drafts? Do you do lots of drafts for for, for your work? Yeah, I think someone said before that it was deceptively simple or something, mm. and I, I thought I'd try and take that as a compliment. But they they. Yes, I do draft a lot, and a lot more as I get older. Mm. And I love drafting. Mm. I love, and it may be that by the time I get to draft, you know, fifty-seven, fifty-eight, the the only difference is a comma here or or not a comma there. But I still, that's still a different draft mm. in my opinion. <laughs> but I, I really like the process of drafting. Mm. One or two of the Ella, I call them the Ella poems. That was my daughter's name. Mm. But a couple of 
one or two of them just came out straight away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, but I think that's only because I've been thinking about them for so long. I don't feel fine that I find if a poem comes out straight away, I always have to rewrite it and rewrite it, and even if I come back to the original one, just <laughs> yes. to check. Yes. But perhaps you find the same. Yes. <laughs> it seems to be rather beautifully constructed, the book. It's a beautiful book in many ways, but, but could you tell us a bit about the way you decided to construct the book? Yes, it, um, it fell into sections, and I can't, I did take some advice from a, a poet and a friend mm. towards the end he was very good at sorting out the pronouns in the book for me and the, oh. you know because I wrote a lot in the second person at some point and he said it's all getting muddled we don't know you know whether you're talking to your husband or Ella or Molly you know the mm. dead child or the child who's alive and so that was really interesting he made me kind of sort tidy that up and, and I think Ella I refer to in the third person and Molly my daughter my second child she's I refer to her, I, I talk to her more directly. But the three sections felt, they came about merely because um, I was sort of stuck with the book and didn't know where it was going to go. And then I got pregnant with Molly and realised I was having another child. And I suddenly thought, oh, that's how this could be a book and that's how it could end. <laughs> but then I, caused, I was only then sort of pregnant with her and I had all that to go through. And I finished uh, the majority of the poems when Molly was born. And I wrote, finished the book during her naps, actually. Mm. <laughs> uh, she'd nap in that blissful, like those two hours in the middle of the day. And I'd um, write then. And then the sections became clearer then. And I realised there was going to be sort of um, Ella's life and her death clearly defined. Then that period of grief that, of course, is not finite and boxed off as a section. But there was that very intense period of grief. And then Molly's arrival which changed the grief, didn't change everything, changed the grief, uh, definitely. So so that made sense then, yes. Molly's arrival, that I could split the book into three sections like that. Now, Her Birth wasn't your first book. Your, your first book was The Anatomy of Structures. How, how do you feel about that now? Well, that's an interesting question. Well, I think you said to me at one point that you felt it felt like very old work to you. I well, it does, you it does any... now, because I think even though it came out not long before Her Birth, it was written substantially in my very early 20s. It, took, it just took, it's, it's basically 10 years of me submitting to magazines and, you know, trying to get more work out there. Because my pamphlet came out very quickly when I was very young, as soon as I finished my MA. And then, I kind of did it in, the, in a backward way, I then had to build up a reputation in magazines and get my work out there. And The Anatomy of Structures is a result of that, really. It's mm. just 10 years of writing poems mm. in my, from my early, early 20s to my early 30s. Yeah, I, I don't regard it as like a piece of juvenilia that I'm going to ignore. No, I don't. No. I don't see it like that at all. It's a really important first book to me, as in you know I worked really hard on those poems for a long time, and all of the, most of them were published in magazines, and it was the real beginnings of my poetry career. And I was going to events and you know reading at magazines, you know those great magazine launches at the back mm. of a pub and and you know and the, the really nice events and not too jazzy and fancy. And I loved all that. Yes. I loved that beginning. And that book is all about that time, really. Mm. It just happened to... By the time it actually became a book, it was um, 2010 and I was pregnant with Molly and all, everything else had happened. You know, right. it was bizarre, really. So are there, there are some poems on it you would select for a, a selected poems? Yeah, I think so. I think mm. so. Def- yeah, there are definitely a few in there. You seem to like... Um monologues and um, dramatic monologues and little narratives as well. Uh, um, well, I've, I've said this before that I think I'm quite influenced by the short story form. Right. Have you written short stories? No. I, well, I have. I've probably got two tucked away in a drawer that I'll never show anyone. <laughs> not, not but I, I did, as a, I did as, a, as a teenager at school, loved writing stories at school. Yeah. But I 
I do like my poems to tell stories. I'm not I'm not as fixated on that as much no. now in my newer work, but I definitely anatomy is all about stories basically. Mm. My own or others I've stolen from mm. other people. Mm. So where did the poetry all begin for you, would you say? It definitely came from well just being interested in, in, in story writing, I think, um particularly. Uh, my my parents weren't massively into po- my my it was my dad who um, discovered Death of a Naturalist when it was first published and then would read read it out to me. Oh, yeah. um, I remember he just stopped me in the hall once and just said, I need to read you this poem, Rebecca, because we had some bookcases at the end of the hall. And um, and he read from that. He read Trout out to me. Mm. Yeah, And I remember listening it, to it and at that moment thinking, I would like to be able to do something like that. And I, and I had a very... I had really positive English teachers who were really... My English teachers at school were arguably probably more into poetry than my parents ever were. Mm. You know, we were reading Douglas Dunn and sort of contemporary volumes at the time, yes. which was good, I thought, for, you know, you know we were talking 30 years ago. Mm. And um, my English teachers were really into poetry and supported my interest in it and allowed, you know, segments of your English lessons to be creative writing, which was great all that time Very ago. enlightened, yeah. You know, even, even I think for my English... AS level, I was allowed to put in a portfolio of poems for some of it. Oh, that's terrific. Or, yeah, yeah. Or, I'm sure it was, yeah. So I think I was very encouraged at school. Mm. Very encouraged. So tell us how you work as a poet yeah. and how, how things begin. Does it begin with, a, with somebody saying something or you going to a place or reading a book or... Is there a typical way that a poem begins? And if so... Probably not a typical way. No. I would say... Earlier on in my earlier work, now I'm thinking about this in this interview, you know, earlier work, I think that was very much influenced by something I read in the newspaper, you know, a story, somebody else's story really that sort of stopped me in my tracks a bit. Yes. And I'd think, oh, can I turn that into a poem? Uh, yeah, things I witnessed, things like that. I mean, very typical for my husband to come home and say, oh, you know, I found a poem for you today or something like that, which is yes. actually how one of my, the pigeon poem. Yes. I don't know if you... I'm not expecting you to remember things, John, but there's a, a poem I wrote about pigeon racing. Mm. And that all came from my husband hearing a programme on the radio, coming home and saying to me, Rebecca, I heard this about pigeon racing today and you are definitely going to write a poem about it. And, <laughs> and I you said did. To him, yeah, and I said to him, I'm not going to write about racing pigeons. What are you talking about? But actually, he was right. So, yeah, I think that. But it, it's changed a lot, latterly. I found myself not necessarily having that kind of lightning moment of mm. thinking, oh, I'm going to write about that been much more of a sort of slow build of ideas and mm. and I, I really like now carrying poems in my head for a long time before I write them I really enjoy that mm. and um, just spending time you know walking the dog or whatever just thinking about the poem and I'm not frightened of losing it I can keep it in my head and uh, uh, I really like that period of gestation I allow myself I think gestation. I th- think I read that you You've been doing a lot of chatting with local people about sort of crafts and that kind of thing for your Suffolk poems, mm. which we'll come on to a bit later, mm. because I know you've been writing a lot about Suffolk. So in your writing, in the, once you get the subject, you, you sit and write, but what's the most difficult thing to get right, would you say? Well, that's interesting. Right now, it's my endings, and I've, oh. never, I've never had a problem with my endings, to the point where I did actually, for a long time, come up... I haven't told very many people this, but I used to see the... I don't know if it ever happens to you, but I used to see the ending first. Oh. I could actually... That's my, um, Simon Armitage does that. Oh, right. Have endings fun. first. Oh, right. So I could. I would actually carry the, like, the last line in my head for a bit. I, it would come to me quickly, the end. Oh, but I told Gwyneth Lewis that once, and she mm. was 
mortified, appalled. She said to me, how could you do that? How could you not just let the poem take you somewhere? You know, I remember she really told me off. She came to talk to us on our MA mm. and I told her. So I never really told anyone after that because yeah. I thought it was a bit of a, a wrong way of doing well, things. Well, tell her about Simon Hunt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And now, I don't know whether I'm... Uh, they're, not, they're not coming as easily and I'm a little right. bit cross about mm. that. <laughs> but does that ending always stay the same? Pretty much. When it comes, yes. Yeah. Have there been blocks? Yes. Uh, and the only... I, I don't write consistently. I'm not one of these writers who gets up at five o'clock in the morning and does her allotted hour or so. I um, I think I've always juggled... I've always had children in my life from the age of 22. I'm a stepmom and a mum. Mm. So, you know, the poems have had to fit in around a lot of other things that are equally as important mm. to me, you know. So so I've never really been blocked. I've, I've been frustrated, mm. as in not latterly not been blocked. I've been frustrated if I can't get to my desk maybe sometimes. Yeah. But... The big block came with the the collection I'm working on at the moment, which actually started six years ago. And I I sort of had a plan for it, thought it was going to go in a certain direction, then had to admit to myself that I was finding that very difficult. It wasn't Mm. coming easily to me. This approach of, like you say, researching for the book Mm. and interviewing people and talking to people about their lives and then translating that into a poem for me it just wasn't working I don't mm. know whether it wasn't instinctive enough or I didn't feel left to my own devices or I think I was feeling more like a reporter with a clipboard or someone told me that's what the poems were coming out like yes. and I just I, I lost sight of it and I just put it in a drawer and I left it for quite a long time but I, it was last year something clicked and someone actually said to me you do realise this is a much more personal book <laughs> yeah. and uh and I suddenly thought, oh, this is what the book is going to be about. And I've had a bit of a change and I've realised that those earlier poems about other people's lives here in Suffolk yes. can actually be mixed in with my own childhood and my mm. husband's new life here and Molly's life, yes. my, my children's life. And, you know, it can all work together. I just thought it couldn't. Mm. And also I'm finding myself touching a little bit more on... There's only one or two poems about um, the loss of my daughter... Mm you know, how that's affecting me sort of nearly 15 years on. Mm. And I didn't feel I was allowed to do that. I thought I'd done it all in her birth and I wasn't allowed to return to that as a poet because people would think, oh my God, she's still carrying around that dead baby. Surely I was done with that Mm. when it came to poems. I couldn't write any more about it. And again, it was just somebody saying to me, don't be ridiculous. (laughs) You, 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 of course, will always return to that subject. And so knowing that this book can be much more mixed up has completely freed me up. Oh, that's good. And that's been very positive. But there was a big block there that was making me quite grumpy. So how do we recognise a Rebecca Goss poem? Oh. A terrible question, isn't it? Yeah, that's a really hard question. I did a reading once and someone said to me, oh, I would have known that was your poem mm. if you hadn't read it. And, the, and that it was a commission, actually, working with scientists. But the poem still managed to involve motherhood I suppose <laughs> in some way this wasn't with the other Rebecca Goss was it? No, you've got a poem about the science yes I have yeah no that, no, that, that is another sort of interesting forthcoming project actually yes, but this yes. was a, with another uh, scientist I was just before the pandemic I was paired up with a virologist oh, yeah um, um, in Cambridge and um, uh, part of a group of poets commissioned by Lucy Cavendish College actually yeah. to, to do a project and um, uh, I wrote a poem about Zika and it was really interesting talking to the virologist she was talking about you know, the, you know, disease X, it's always around the corner, we're always being yeah. prepared for it. And then, of course, six months later, we were in the pandemic. So it was. You've got a vaccination poem as well, haven't you? Yes, but that was written a long time yes. before the. Um, yes. before Cutting the... edge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
just about going to get my flu jab up the road. And I, and I just by the time this interview goes out, it'll all be ancient history. <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's yeah. A, it was a cruel question. So uh, yeah. to, to, uh, I, I think I think I, I suppose I've probably got the motherhood label on me a bit, but I'm mm. like the confessional one. I'm not going to worry about that too no, much. No, no. <laughs> uh, my impression reading through your books is that it's becoming more and more sort of pure and pure. Whatever a Re- Rebecca Goss poem is, it's getting more and more the the real thing. The, oh, the further on we go, oh, you're really refining, refining, oh, but very distinctive. You. Tell us about the collection. Girl, which is certainly one of my favourites of your books. Uh, it's prefaced by a line from Evan Boland. As time went on, I found the shape of my life. One of my favourite poets, as I say, Evan Boland. But has she been important to you as well? Not long before I... Uh, I towards the end of finishing Girl, actually, I came across um, her book, A Journey with Two Maps, Becoming a Woman Poet. Found it far too late, I think, in my writing life. But... Um, I was absolutely mesmerised by it. I was just sort of, uh, I'm not a terribly good sleeper and I was waking in the night reading it and wanting to read it again as soon as I woke up in the morning and it was just her careful attention to it she paid to not not only writing about her own life and her own experiences of writing and motherhood and the juggles and everything, but you felt really conscious she was wanting to pull in all other women poets close to her and say, you know, listen to this. I'm not preaching to you, but, you know, this is... This is valid. These are our voices. I'm claiming, you know, I'm claiming my own, but claiming yours too. And yeah, I just, I just felt like I'd found this real sort of guide, really, mm. and presence in her. Mm. Uh, that book was really important. So, but, so, did she help you give the book a shape? Give yes, a and and just seeing that line in that about you know finding the shape of my life. Mm. I also feel that that girl is so much. You know, it's it's me all those years after her birth. You know, mm. this is the woman I've become as a consequence of Ella's death, maybe. But but this is this is me. You know, growing mm. up yet again. There are such gaps between my books, really. I, they don't look like it in print, because mm. but you know, there's sort of there's the decades. There's my twenties, my thirties, my forties, yeah. really, yeah. in the three books. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that's what girl was. Me, just sort of. This is the girl post mm. uh, that her birth experience. It's much preoccupied with with. Physicality with physical health, I say the, the vaccination poem. Mm. I felt it was a bold style, rather different style. How would you characterise any difference between that and, and what had gone before in terms of the actual writing? Yeah, I think I was pushing myself to be slightly bold. Is interesting. Yeah, slightly more. I'm not an experimental poet by any means. I wouldn't ever use that word, but. Um, pushing myself with language a bit more to be less explanatory, not quite as narrative, mm. a bit more, slightly more abstract, mm. you know, and, and things like that. And, and I enjoyed that. Do you have a favourite form or a default form? Couplets? you like couplets? I do like couplets, but, but you know, mm. someone did haul me up on, uh, not, not me personally, but in, in one of the reviews for Girl, mm. it was a very generous, nice review, but did haul me up on the couplets and just say, you know... It's Why? always couplets with Rebecca. You know, Why? could she? <laughs> maybe it's time to shake it up a bit. Mm. And I did. I did sort of take it to heart. I do feel pathologically addicted to them. Mm. Someone said in. I remember there was a review of her birth saying that the couplets made sense in her birth because it was like the tick tock of a heart. You know, the the, mm. the that two sort of two note, that two beat, that mm. you know that kind of pattern. I know you can read an awful lot into things, can't you? But but I have wanted in my. In my le- much more recent work, I've kind of wanted to 
push at form. I, ha- I have to push myself a bit at form, right. I think. Yeah. We all have a default form. Yeah, we do. And I think mine is couplets, but yeah, I know yeah. lots of people don't really like them. Yeah. And I think I, I have had to force myself to break away from them. That was Rebecca Goss in conversation with John Greening. You can find out more about Rebecca on her website at rebeccagoss.wordpress.com. And that concludes episode 411, which was recorded by John Greening and produced by Kona McPhee. Coming up in episode 412, in the second part of this interview, Rebecca speaks with John about collaboration with artists and photographers, the various uses of pamphlets at different stages of a writing career, a return to Suffolk and curiosity about rural life, and the continuing importance of loving the process of writing. We hope you'll join us. You've been listening to Writers Aloud, a podcast brought to you by writers for the Royal Literary Fund in London. To subscribe to podcasts and to find out more about the work of the RLF, please visit our website at www.rlf.org.uk. Thanks for listening.